This episode of Commentary, Trek Stars, is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for iPhone, iPad, and iPod, Android, Kindle, Windows Phone, plus Mac or PC. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Hi, this is Robert Duncan McNeil, also known as Tom Paris from Star Trek Voyager. You're listening to Trek FM. Hello and welcome to Season 4, Episode 14 of Commentary, Trek Stars, a show which deals with the work of Star Trek creators outside of Star Trek. Mm-hmm. This is uh, the beginning of the second half of the show. I'm excited. We're halfway through. So, um, we, we've decided to No do... turning back now. No turning back. No, mm-hmm. none at all. Point of no return. Point of no return. We're, we're, we're in this it This is going to be the, a, the best Christmas. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm Mike. I'm Max. And today we are joined by Matt from Literary Treks and the Orb. How's it going, Matt? Do, going great, guys. How are you guys doing? We're, we're doing well. Thank Fantastic. you very much for joining us. We really appreciate it. What could possibly go it. wrong? Uh, you know, we're talking about JJ, so probably everything. Whoa! <laughs> oh, I, I, I just meant that, that. that, you know, <laughs> no, that Mike and I are kind of on meant. one side, and, and Max, <laughs> you're kind of on the other, and so it's... It, We'll probably, everything will descend into chaos by the time we're done. We shall see. We'll try to keep order. But first, I have something which I found from Variety on April 20th, 2006. Oh, pop day? The headline, Trekkies Have a New Leader, by David McNary. J.J. Abrams is becoming the next Gene Roddenberry. Paramount is breathing life into its Star Trek franchise by setting Mission Impossible 3 helmer J.J. Abrams to produce and direct the 11th Star Trek feature aiming for a 2008 release. Project, to be penned by Abrams and MI3 scribes Alex Kurtzman and Roberto Orsi, will center on the early days of seminal Trek characters James T. Kirk and Mr. Spock, including their first meeting at Starfleet Academy and first outer space mission. Deal reflects Pear's bullishness on MI3, which launches worldwide next weekend, and underlines the goal of Paramount Chief Brad Gray and Prexy Gail Berman to re-energize the pipeline via high-profile tentpoles while revitalizing the Par brand with top-tier talent such as Abrams. I love trades. You have They're no so... idea what you're saying at this point. <laughs> They're so great, <laughs> but they don't. They don't talk about schemes, though. Look, I haven't had like I lost my decoder ring for Variety a long time ago. I don't know how to make sense. Of this. I, yeah, I feel like we could use a universal translator here. Mm-hmm. Star Trek has been Hollywood's most durable performer, other than James Bond, spawning ten features that have grossed more than one billion dollars and seven hundred twenty-six TV episodes from six series. I like that they counted the animated series there. That's <laughs> it's important. It is. I mean, hey, Mission Log taught us that you shouldn't discount the animated I, series. I've been saying that for like the past twenty years. Decision to relaunch Star Trek comes less than a year after UPN pulled the plug on Star Trek Enterprise amid dismal ratings following a four-season run and four years after Star Trek Nemesis 
turned in the worst performance of the 10 films with 43 million domestic. So that was it. That was the moment where we found out for sure. There were rumblings before that, but that's when we found out for sure that J.J. Abrams would be directing the next Star Trek movie, which would be titled Star Trek. And And can we just say, Mike, I mean, they had tried this before. They just mentioned Star Trek Nemesis is the worst performer of the 10 films. They had tried getting a, a director in that, you know, didn't know a lot about Star Trek before, um, you know, was going to go in and kind of make his his movie. Uh, you know, Stuart Baird did that with Nemesis, and look what happened. So I, I just kind of setting the stage, I remember reading this and thinking, oh, well, J.J. Abrams, I mean, I kind of like the guy. Mission Impossible 3 didn't suck. It was pretty good, actually. It was way better than 2, so could be good. But, I mean, he doesn't really know or like Star Trek all that much. So, in the last time that happened, I really hated the movie. It's my least favorite Star Trek movie of all time, is Star Trek Nemesis. So, that, for me, set the stage here. Yeah, mine too. But, to me, the difference in in how I saw this was, um, with Nemesis, it was a clear case of Stuart Baird basically saving the studio's butts on a couple of occasions. Mission Impossible 2 and... uh, Lara Croft Tomb Raider in specifically. Yeah, he really pulled those out of the fire. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if it hadn't been for him, I mean, Woo! what would those movies have been? <laughs> At least Lara so, Croft Tomb Raider had Angelina Jolie going for it, but that's about it. I, li- I like Mission Impossible 2 a lot. I just did a commentary with Tisto for Mission Impossible 2, and it's... it's no, it's so great that he saved that day. It's, that it's, anyway, regardless. <laughs> Imagine how much of a mess it would be. Anyway, regardless. Yeah, oh, that future. Just setting setting the stage, you know, like 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 Matt was saying here, you know, he was owed a favor, um, and and this was uh, Paramount repaying him for for that work by saying, hey, why don't you take this thing? Because really, it's like it's produced like a television show in that you can sort of plug in a director theoretically, and it'll be fine. So we'll just plug you in because you're a director, and it'll be fine. Obviously, that didn't go so well. With with this one, though, what I saw was, I mean, like they were talking about, you know, here. Um, <laughs> I find this hilarious. Revitalizing. The day, they give him a franchise that made like makes less less money every movie for twenty years. Well, you know, but They're but so then nice but, see, to him. but here's where they where they turned it around and said, you know, like like they say here, uh, re-energize the pipeline via high-profile tent poles while revitalizing the PAR brand with top-tier talent <laughs> such as Abrams. You know, J.J. Abrams was hot at this particular moment in time. He had done Alias. He had, well, directed the pilot for Lost, which was absolutely amazing. And then he Never had just... Never got better than that. He had just done Mission That's Impossible true. 3 for them, which... It hadn't come out yet, but they were anticipating it being, um, you know, a uh, a hit. It, I don't think it hit as much as they were hoping for. And then the but other it's thing still about a really good movie. I mean, especially uh, after the the dismal performance of two and this kind of the 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 reception it got from fans and critics alike. You know, three came out and, and it's a it's a really good film. Um, I, I think I think that it's an excellent movie. Um, but but what this said to me, you know, what what, what makes this different is, it, it doesn't seem like it's them putting in a guy because they're like whatever it doesn't matter 
we'll give it to him because we don't want to give him anything important. This is, we want to bring in someone who we know is going to hit a home run. Right. You know, we want to bring in an A-list filmmaker to come in and take over this thing. And he's bringing in his team to do this and everything. And that's why I, I was actually really excited when I heard the news that Abrams was going to be directing. You know, the but other it, thing, though, Mike that and, and Max, that got me, too, was... And I think it was I didn't trust Paramount at this point, either. Because of the that way I, that, that they had see. treated Enterprise. With UPN, they had the new um, regime come in who didn't un- really understand Star Trek, who didn't give the love that it was needed. Um, and, and they... They unceremoniously shut it down. Um, it wasn't doing what they wanted to in the ratings, but it also wasn't terrible either. And if they had probably just given that show some more love in another year, it probably would have run for seven years as well because I think it would have picked the fans back up. But I just didn't trust them with this brand at this point. They, they didn't know what to do with it, I didn't feel like anymore. So for me, just thinking back, I just was like, really you're gonna you're gonna bring back star trek but you're gonna you're gonna go back to kirk and spock which i love i don't know there's too many other questions as a star trek fan that i want answered in the timeline and going back somehow to kirk and spock is really not one of them yeah i mean i can see that well we'll get to that that in a second um but yeah i guess just just since we've buried the lead for for about 10 minutes now um we we should just say that we are doing a series now in case you haven't guessed on jj abrams and uh we're going to be looking at all of his movies that he's directed uh and we're going to start this week with his star trek work um obviously he directed star trek 2009 and star trek into darkness it is obvious but he had done and 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 these were his uh, well second and fourth movies but he had done um a number of things prior to even his first movie mission impossible 3 so (laughs) i guess my my question which uh i don't know we we, well we've touched on a little bit but what what did you guys think about jj abrams prior to this and i mean there's obviously a lot of of information that we have about him now and a lot more data which we can sort of uh, um, uh, get through. But back then, where he had done basically Alias, The Beginning of Lost, and Mission Impossible 3, and Felicity. Let's not forget Felicity. What, what were We're your, not allowed to. <laughs> <laughs> what, what were your thoughts on J.J. Abrams coming in to do this movie? Max? I had very weirdly ill-defined perceptions on J.J. Abrams, largely because I didn't think much about him. Um, I, I, I didn't, uh, you know, I, I wasn't a fan of Felicity, but I was aware of it, you know, and like when when at the end of it she went back in time, I was like, what? That yeah, happened? I, I still haven't watched Felicity, but I've heard about that and it's don't, very intriguing to me. Don't worry about it. <laughs> um, and when I heard about Alias, like I watched the pilot for Alias and I was like, this is boring. And then I heard about some stuff that happened a couple of seasons in and I was like, oh, that sounds interesting. And then I watched it and I was like, oh, it's, yeah, it is boring. It's just, uh, it's just weird. And then Lost, and and I realized that the only like sort of like recurring pattern with J.J. Abrams was that um, he seemed to be doing things that were um, uh, interesting, 
conceptually, but not really doing anything with them. Like, he has the same action figures I have, but uh, at the end of a play session, his action figures sit down at a table and have a meeting, uh, and they don't actually have any sort of resolution. And uh, if one of them dies, it's because they were dead the whole time anyway. Um, so it's sort of, like, frustrating. But, like, when you talk about J.J. Abrams being, like, picked to do Star Trek, I actually think it makes perfect sense. Because Star Trek is an impossible property to find the right person for. His stuff beforehand was all kind of... It was all very, very professional, very splashy, very well put together, but not really... Not very meaty, to use a metaphor that I find very strange. But the idea that they found somebody who sort of everything Star Trek needed and nothing else at all, that seemed very obvious. And I think that the, the, the thing that makes it like sort of clear, that sort of fits the whole story, is that he's a celebrity director. And there are lots of celebrity directors but he's one that doesn't come with any baggage. Okay. He has no real obvious point of view. He's not going to say or do anything that's going to be very controversial, which is sort of um, my main problem. Uh, I I don't think that it's particularly noteworthy. All right. Well, what about you, Matt? Were you uh, did you were you uh, like a fan of Alias or any of those things? Had you seen much JJ stuff? Prior I to hadn't this? seen Alias. Um, but I had seen most of Felicity um, and enjoyed that show. I, you know, um, it's it's a very different type of show from anything Star Trek, obviously, except for the time traveling at the end of the show. And um, the Twilight Zone episode. And um, I'd also seen, obviously, Lost. Um, I, I started watching Lost like just about everybody else in America, um, and I, I stayed with it all the way to the end. Like no one else in America. Um, <laughs> And, uh, and, and I generally enjoyed Lost. I, I enjoyed the mystery of it and trying to figure it out. And, I mean, it, it, Lost was one of those shows, like, I had some of my most – I had some of the most freak-out moments at TV watching that show where you're just like, oh, my God, they just did that, you know. Um, they weren't afraid to do that in that show, which was great. Um, so I thought, you know – thinking back and and what i was thinking about star trek in reference to jj i was like well okay you know he can do some pretty crazy things on lost that we don't see coming so maybe that's what we need at this point in star trek um you know he'd also done another show what about brian didn't last very long um i had seen some of that um cloverfield he was the producer of i had you know seen that and um it looked great as um max said it was very splashy um and uh you know quite different than anything we'd seen in star trek and then of course uh you know once mission impossible 3 did come out um i was i don't know i feel like i was more comfortable with it being jj you know as a fan um i I was a little i just wanted to see what this guy would do you know at this point you know star trek's dead now um so if somebody's going to bring it back let's just that was my hope let's hope that jj can do it in a way that brings star trek back um that'll make it last again uh for you know another 50 years um you know uh doctor who died for what 18 years before it came back um well, it had that know, movie you know star trek had only been gone for four in the theaters 
So um, I just hoped it had been long enough for them to figure out exactly what they wanted to do with Star Trek and make it interesting again. And um, J.J. was interesting enough as a director and as a producer and the things that he seemed to be interested in, uh, I felt like lent themselves to, to kind of creating a good Star Trek film. You know, he was into mythology and all that kind of thing, and Star Trek has its own mythology with the characters and all that, so um, I just wanted it to, to be good at that point, um, and I thought he could do it. Uh, aside from my trepidation about him um, and, of course, the, the studio, it was all up in the air, you know? I mean, again, to me, the whole idea of going backwards and somehow just... I just wasn't sure I was going to be comfortable with, but I think every fan felt like that too, really. I mean, we're going to go back to Perkins Fox, so is is this really the best idea? Mm-hmm. Okay, <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll return to that in a second. Um, okay. for for me personally, like I had seen Alias, and uh, I I fell in love with that show pretty much instantly, and and the the first couple seasons I thought were some of the best television I've ever seen. And um, Lost, I mean, the only thing that I really credit him for on Lost is that pilot. And looking at him as a director, like, that pilot for Lost is one of the best mm. directed um, hours or two hours or three hours, I guess, of television that I've ever seen. It's just so intense and so well made. And It that- actually is part of my grand theory that pilots should never be good it's a bad sign <laughs> well maybe maybe, maybe it is i mean but like that pilot like that's essentially like a movie right there itself and and that i mean i think yeah. is what kind of like showed the world that he could direct like blockbusters you know <laughs> yeah but sure <laughs> but don't end anywhere <laughs> <laughs> well whatever so so when i had heard that he was making mission impossible 3 i was very excited about that and especially being a fan of of the mission impossible series to begin with and mm-hmm. That movie just blew me away too. I, I thought that was the best film of of two thousand and six, uh, and um, I I loved it. Um, so I I was really really excited about J J Abrams directing Star Trek. The thing that I was skeptical about was the idea of it being a prequel, and and it vol- involving you know the, uh, Kirk and Spock and and Bones and all those things. So, so Matt, like you were saying, you, you were a little skeptical of that as well, right? Yeah, I mean, as a fan, the thought, I think, of, of somebody else playing Kirk, uh, as somebody else playing uh, Spock, was hard. You know, obviously, I'm a huge James Bond fan, so I've seen a lot of people play James Bond. Some I like more than others, obviously. Um, but on a whole, I, I didn't... I didn't think anything strange of there being a new bond you know just ha- that's just what happens with star trek um because we had been telling the story uh in a linear fashion for the most part except for enterprise um but that didn't affect what we thought of canon and you know them trying to recast anybody that we had already seen before um you know, that just hadn't happened on Star Trek. We, we hadn't come to that bridge where we crossed where there was going to be somebody else playing Kirk. And it was hard for me to think of anybody else playing those characters, especially the, the, the main three, um, Kirk and, and Spock and, and Bones, just because they were so iconic and it had been so long since anybody else had played them. And, you know, um, 
I think, you know, Shatner and Nimoy and Kelly really had one of the longest runs inhabiting one character that we've ever seen in media. Um, and that really ingrains them in your brain as those characters. And I think that was the hardest thing for me to swallow is that somebody else was going to be playing these characters. You know, I've been reading the novels long enough that the idea of Kirk and Spock and McCoy being on other missions or anything like that is not... I didn't. That wasn't the hard part. It was just, I can anybody else be Kirk and not be Shatner? Because they were so one and the same, really, to me at that point, um, and in in that time. So I think that for me was the hardest thing. See, for me, I think it was the exact opposite. You know, I, I had absolutely no problem with other people playing those those roles. I just, you know, thought like, whatever, you know, I mean, you know, people are recast all the time in movies and stuff like that. And and I'm perfectly willing to accept that. But it was more stories being told with these characters, which is what I saw as being the problem. Because unlike a a prequel series like Enterprise, where you have, um, you know, a a new set of characters and and, and like a, a, a large chunk of time where you can deal with things... Here, I, I I wasn't even so concerned about the like the story being a prequel in the sense of of uh, you know like no stakes or whatever. It was more um, how I knew that they were going to want to have these iconic elements to it, and yet knowing the history of the Star Trek continuity, they wouldn't necessarily fit. And I know that is the nerdiest thing. That, that you can imagine and and i think one of the the many reasons why they decided to make it you know sort of a reboot or an alternate timeline well and i i agree with you too that was my other thought was like how do you create a story about kirk and spock that fits well and there be any dramatic tension to the film when we already know that they both live you know until kirk dies in generations and that's a whole other story <laughs> yeah, but I mean, but but oh, at the same time, times. like like what, when it this happened, like when I first heard about this stuff, and, and you started hearing about things, you know, and and we didn't hear about it being an alternate timeline yet. I now sort of infamously wrote this huge long what? blog post um, about uh, how like when it did doesn't we not work. know it wouldn't be another timeline? We didn't find that out until a few months before it, it, it came out. That was, like one of the, that was like the only thing I knew about it before I saw any footage. Yeah, well, I mean, maybe before you saw footage, but, but back before that, like the summer before, everyone was talking about how it was a prequel. You know, no one had mentioned anything about an alternate timeline. That didn't okay. come out until until closer to the sure. release date. What's the infamous blog post? Well, you know, where I, I, I say, like, why is Chekhov on here? And what is this? And where's Gary Mitchell? And blah, blah, blah. But even on that, I say, like, right up front, look... I love J.J. Abrams. I have the the utmost confidence in him, and I am willing to go wherever he takes us because he's that good, really. But now, Max, what about you? Were, were you worried? About, I know you're not a fan of prequels in general. Was that something where you were like, man, why are they going back and, and doing no, this? No, I don't have a problem with the concept of prequels. I have a problem with the concept of prequels to series in order to make more money. I have a problem with prequels when, like, your your story is done, 
and you're looking for more things to do there, so but then, you go beforehand. But see, like this is a different case because you could say that that was an element to it. But I really think that the reason why they chose to do this, or one of the reasons why I, they chose to do this, I understand what you're talking about. I'm not saying that well, that, that well, applies here. Okay, well, let me just say, yeah, I, but I, I do think that one of the reasons why they, they they did this was because, you know, JJ really felt that Star Trek wasn't just about this universe; it was about these characters, and he re- what interested him in this project was I, the characters. Yeah, I'm, I, I'm not I'm not arguing with you. I'm just saying like that's what I you know. Right, and I think that that's um, just one more part of the problem. Okay. Uh, like, like when you say like you're a big fan of J.J. Abrams, and when I hear people say like, "Oh, J.J. Abrams is really good," um, I do that with my mind. Um, I, I, I routinely have essentially the same reaction, which is um, that's crazy, and it's not crazy because you're wrong. It's crazy because there's not anything to be excited about. Like, J.J. Abrams is not bad. He's not significant. Well, I mean, I, I, I would consider him to be significant. Well, I mean, like, this is sort of a thing. Like, I didn't really have any feelings about J.J. Abrams around the time that Mission Impossible 3 came out. Mm-hmm. And and I watched Mission Impossible 3, and I thought, like, okay, this is a guy who is essentially 100% style. He's yeah, I, he's all style, all pacing, all attitude, see, I, all I, slick, all glossy. See, that's I, what I would say about John Woo in Mission yeah, Impossible Two. Mission right. Impossible Three, no, no. And I think the the fact that Mission Impossible Three is so much better written than Mission Impossible Two is one indicator of that. I'm, I think the writing I'm including on including writing well, in the, this assessment of style. You say you're not including it? No, I'm including writing. Okay, yeah, I, I know, and 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 but like Alias, for example. I think is like so well written. I know, I know, and I not just think, style; it no, has no, no, substance no, 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 as well. No. I mean, there is a style to his substance. Okay, and that right. is essentially but he's devoid not... of significance. And he will admit, no, that there is no inherent significance. No, no, no. He won't admit that there's no inherent significance. This is where your interpretation of the mystery box differs from mine. I'm not talking about mystery box. I'm okay. talking about the reason for doing these things. And he talks okay. about the characters. Mm-hmm. He talks about the audience's connection to things. Yeah. And what I keep seeing over and over again in every description of J.J. Abrams' work from him and from others is essentially a very significant kind of cynicism. That he does not really believe that there is anything to this. To- that it is all projected. That to what? Two movies, stories, characters. Uh, see, I that there's that. nothing in them that is not projected by the audience. The audience puts the significance in it. It is not there to begin with. Yeah, I don't. That is that I hear that in everything he says and everything he does. Yeah. See, and I think, I think, uh, you know, I guess I don't know, Mac, Mike. Do you want to jump in to? To talk about 2009. Sure. Yeah. Because, let's talk. Let's let's talk because, about 2009. Because I'll just use yeah. it as an example. Yeah. I feel like um, the the reason for JJ choosing to do TOS was because one we've talked about a little bit. He wasn't inherently a Star Trek fan, so when they approached him to do this, he was watching the shows. He he kind of fell in love with these characters and wanted to tell a story about the characters that he fell in love with and the story that he came up with was well we haven't ever seen um 
them meet. We haven't seen what it meant for them to become the characters that they are. Um, we, we've never, um, we've never watched this family come together. And J.J. Abrams is huge, I think, as, as, um, Joss Whedon is on kind of found families. All of his shows kind of have them. Um, and I think that was really the driving force of telling this story in, um, you know, 2009 was we are going to show you how they become a family. Um, we're going to show you how they become the Kirk, Spock, McCoy, O'Hara, all these other characters you kind of know. Um, and I think that, you know, J.J., a lot of people say, you know, he's all action, he's all style, you know, he's no substance. But I really think there's a lot of substance just to O uh, nine and Into Darkness. People just don't get a bit credit for because all they're paying attention to is the action. But J.J. tells a lot of story with action. You just have to be paying attention. Um, and uh, I, I watch Into Darkness, and I, I feel like I can see what J.J. is trying to tell me with those characters and that story and it's a story of a family coming together um they were a found family and that's a big deal in hollywood right now it's 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 kind of the every story we see whether it's avengers or anything joss whedon has done and a lot of what jj has done and a lot of his shows i mean whether it's felicity alias um it's uh it's it's in Cloverfield. What about Brian? Lost. All of these movies and shows are all about small groups of people coming together and becoming more than they are apart. And I, I think that's a theme that runs through everything that he's done. And so to say that he doesn't have a theme or something that he's trying to talk about, I, I think misses everything that he's been doing for the last, you know, 15, 20 years. Um, because it's really in every single thing that he's done almost. Yeah, I I completely agree. And I'm not saying that he doesn't have one. I'm saying that he doesn't have a unique one. That his sort of found family's theme is actually like an archetypal story format. It's not just in all of his work and Joss Whedon's work. It's ancient it's everywhere they're like almost like if look at the top 100 grossing movies of all time it's probably applicable to half of them but it's everywhere but star wars goonies yeah, <laughs> back I mean, to the future but, but if <laughs> but if he does it well then i mean i don't see what the problem no no, is no. the problem isn't that he's doing it badly the problem is that he's not doing anything new that he's not doing anything that's daring or challenging. He's doing things that everyone already is okay with. That's uh, well, the problem that I have. If you're making art and no one has a problem with it, I have a huge problem with well, it. Well, and that's and that's where I think it's a little bit different, Max, because you know um, there were a lot of Star Trek fans who were didn't like. 09 because of the choices that he made story-wise the things that he did that were different than what we'd seen before and so i mean he he definitely has an a, opinion and will do what he wants to do in it regardless of what others think about it you know what i mean yeah. he, he's not afraid to 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 do that no i i don't i don't think so i think that's yeah i think that's fine i like i in some ways i think that i am 
I am in a very weird position because I don't think that J.J. Abrams is much worse than anybody. I don't think that he's bad. But um, the excitement that, that uh, it seems studios and executives have over him, I think is very logical because he seems to be exactly what everyone's looking for. He's, he's going to make the movie that the, the studio wants. It's going to make lots of money. It's going to be good. It's going to sell a lot of tickets. It's going to make a lot of, uh, a lot of new fans for an old franchise. He's going to bring people into Star Wars just like he brought people into Star Trek. And he's not going to alien anyone except the people who want it to be challenging. And and I feel that I have no interest in a movie that isn't going to potentially be a problem. Well, I want to be challenged in some way. And the problem that I get from J.J. Abrams is that what I'm hearing is essentially from him in his movies, I don't believe that this matters. This is the this is the statement that I hear from J.J. Abrams and everything he does. That I, I feel that there is a cynicism to him because I don't believe that he actually feels that what he's making means anything more than entertainment. See, I, I disagree with that. I think like a lot of his philosophies and stuff like that, and a lot of the the stories which he tells are actually kind of Roddenberry in nature, in that you know they're um, maybe inspirational. Or um, get you thinking about things instead of get you not necessarily thinking more more get you into the process of thinking coming up with your own conclusions and okay. stuff like that. Okay. No, no, no. See, okay. no, see, no, no, no. Wait. All no, right. Now, see, now this is what you were saying before, and and what mm-hmm. I was talking about with the mystery box, and and I'm not talking about the mystery not, box. The well, mystery no, box no. is a symptom well, of the problem. Okay. He's cynical. He doesn't believe that there's a point. Well, no. So he's no. not going to have one. See, see, that's that's not that's not what I'm saying. I don't think that he doesn't believe that that okay. he, he has a point or that there is a point. I think that his point is that you should start like coming up with stuff on your own you should exercise yes. your mind yes you should get thinking absolutely he and definitely does that he wants you to think he doesn't have a thing to say other but than he, the thing think. that the thing that he has to say is think and that's something which most movies don't say except he's not saying it oh, I he's not think saying he think about it he's saying i have no answer no, I don't think that's true. I mean, I think that he does have answers and uh, to, oh, okay. to certain things. But I think that, okay. that one of the things which he is definitely saying is think. And I don't have a sure. problem with that. I, I don't have a problem with it either. And I have a really big problem with him not doing anything that people would have a problem with. I think if your work of art <clears throat> is unchallenging, you have not made art. In a, well, in a sense, I disagree with the co- the concept that art can be agreeable. Okay, well, well, I think I think that that he does. So you'd rather people. it be? I mean, I guess I guess if I'm understanding you, uh, you'd be more on the side of somebody like a Zack Snyder then, who? Oh God, no! Because no, 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 no. I'm trying to understand what you're it's, saying because it's important like, that I it's important like, that I specify here that I don't believe that 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 J.J. Uh, Abrams is worse than most directors. Uh, I, I actually think that the, the new Star Trek movies are bad in the same way that most movies are bad. They're just not particularly noteworthy. And um, I would lump a lot of Star Trek movies in with that ball. In fact, all of the next-gen movies I consider to be not particularly noteworthy. Um, however, there are 
attempts to surpass the limitations. And I feel that J.J. Abrams has very thoroughly digested the idea that you don't do that. That you do not try something that has a good chance of failing. Because, I mean, it's not your money. It's the studio's money. You're, you're, you're working a job and you're trying to, to accomplish a task, which is essentially to, to run a business. And uh, he's not wrong. And, well, and that's why I think that there's a point where a franchise should be abandoned. When it is more important to preserve what it is than to make it change, that's when you should let it die. And I think that we reached that point. I don't know. Well, I do think that he is fiscally responsible and, you know, kind of a sure bet. That most is the problem. Of, most of the time. While I do think that he is those things, I think that, that he um, has found a way to tell very interesting and meaningful stories in that system. And I don't have a problem with that. Just like I don't have a problem with someone like Richard Linklater doing a, a movie for like five bucks in his backyard with a couple of his friends and, and it being, you know, um, meaningful in a different way. Yeah. You know? But in terms of... Why would you have a problem with that? Well, what I'm saying is I don't need something to be safe and, and big in order to be entertaining to me. No, no, know? but it needs to be not safe in order to be excited about it. Well, well, and I think, no, Mike and Max, this is where, okay, we get to 2009 mm-hmm. and we all go see the movie, right? We We've had trailers we've had you know spoilers if you were into that kind of thing and all of that and really what it came down to 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 every person who was a star trek fan specifically because i I, everybody listening to this podcast is a star trek fan i'm sure um and uh and then all the people that we hoped you know would come into star trek seeing the movie and what they thought of it as well you know so going into the movie with all of this trepidation who knows what's going to happen with jj is he going to be good is he not going to be good is the storyline going to be good is it going to fit in with canon is it not going to fit in with canon all that stuff you know i remember going to the movie the first time my friend and i walked out the door we bought tickets again so we could go see it again sat in the bar and then went back and saw it again because i enjoyed it so much Mm -hmm. um because i hadn't seen a movie like that that I felt like was so much fun and brought such life to something that I enjoyed so much and blew away my low expectations. Um, and I, you know, generally still have that feeling when I watched the movie. I just watched it a few weeks ago and I still enjoy the movie. And um, part of it, I think, was, you know, the first five minutes. Uh, yeah, the... you, I mean, you, you, he created one of the best scenes in Star Trek, I think, ever, which is George Kirk talking to his wife and then them naming, you know, our famous captain and then him dying. And that, I mean, that scene with the music, I mean, he, he gave us Giacchino as well for Star Trek. I mean, all of it just popped off screen and talk about just a great moment you know and, and then i enjoyed the rest of the movie as well for the most part i mean i had my quibbles with it i, I still hate the engine room and i can't stand the look at the new enterprise on a whole really but other than that 
the rest of the movie I liked because I liked the characters. I liked the story for the most part. I thought it was inventive. And then it alleviated all the problems I was thinking I was going to have continuity-wise by coming up with, I, with what I thought was a very reverent way to love canon and keep it all and at the same time be able to tell new stories and all in the spirit of Star Trek, which was... As we've seen a bunch of times, there's a multitude of universes. We're just going to hop one with old Spock and tell a new story. Yeah, I mean, to me, what, what Abrams really brought to Star Trek was he found a way to make this accessible to a much larger audience. And as a Star Trek fan, and we've all experienced this, I'm sure... You know, you say like, hey, you know, I, I like Star Trek. You should check this out. And then people are like, what? And then you, and then they watch it. And I, like I've been in the room with people when they watch Star Trek for the first time and they just check out because it is such a weird little bizarre thing. And you have to ha- go into it with a certain mindset. And people just don't watch movies like that, you know? And, and that's true of like indie cinema too and everything like that. And and while they there's a lot to offer there, you know, and in, in, in terms of the content and everything, I always thought that there was really no reason why it couldn't be more accessible to the masses. Why you couldn't do what makes Star Trek great on a scale and and in in a fashion that would engross people, just general general audiences. And that was the big problem. That's what they're talking about. The executives obviously saw it. And the reason why the executives wanted to do it was because they wanted to make a lot more money. But I think there's a lot of validity to getting your message out to more people. Not changing the message so that you reach more people, but take finding a way to get that message to more people. And that's really, to me, what Abrams did. That's why they brought him in, and I think that he did a really good job at that. And that's why I, I love Star Trek 09 as much as I do. But, Max, I take it you disagree? No, I think that that's all accurate. And I think it's hilarious because that also entirely applies to the motion picture. I, I definitely disagree with that. <laughs> because it was also an attempt to... It was an attempt. Transform... No. It was a failed attempt. <laughs> no. Yeah. I think that you... you I, 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 most Star Trek fans don't remember this. But there, that is a huge transformative moment in the series. There was a thing called Star Trek at that point, and it was legitimately goofy sci-fi uh, well, okay. from the 60s. Okay, okay Grant, I, I see what you're saying now, and, and maybe that's true. And maybe w- what it is is every, and, every few decades the franchise needs a new fresh coat of paint. And, and I think that they both fail in essentially the same way. But um, for different reasons. Like, they are both an attempt to update this thing and to make it accessible to a new audience. And the motion picture is essentially trying to redeem the, the, the impression of, of legitimacy. The, mm-hmm. Like, the idea that like, it's, a, it's, it's not a small thing, it's not a tiny franchise, it's a big franchise, it's sci-fi, it, it is a peer of Star Wars. Yeah, yeah. That's the idea with the motion picture. And 2009, it's actually the same intent. I can see that. yeah. It's supposed to be like, we are a peer with Star Wars. Yeah, I, know, I can see that, yeah. And at the end of the day, that's a stupid thing to want to be. 
That's a stupid thing to want to be. I disagree. If you want to be a peer with Star Wars, then make something else. Star Trek is a literate series. It is is in-depth. It is also, at best, when it is slow. It is is a series that. that reaches its absolute heights of quality when it is deliberate, careful, and... Actually, rather small. Some, think, sometimes. Yeah, but I think what you just said doesn't apply to, to Star Trek Two because mm-hmm. it was it had a smaller budget, but the storyline itself is is just this kind of bold, in your face, like um, you know, submarine type movie. You know, where well, two I guys think... are going to go at it. You know, I mean, it's it's revenge and and all of that. It's I, it's I think great com- character development. And if, I mean, if you compare you, it to motion picture, it is way smaller. Well, I mean, it it it's. I mean, there's like there's like half the people. There there like half the locations. Like it's a much smaller story than motion. It, picture. It's smaller in in that scale, but I think it's bigger in 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 a lot of other ways. Well, and no, it's, it's that, much that's... more, and I think it's much more accessible too to the normal person. Like, yes, it I is. Think... It is conceptually bigger, but that's because Star Trek has big ideas, and that's what that's one of the reasons well, Star Trek Two is right. so good. It's a small story that has huge implications because it's essentially it's about big things in a small way whereas 2009 is about small things in a big way well but see that's where i disagree because i think like both Bieber of concert. them are about the characters and yeah. so 2009 is meant to give you these characters in a way that you may not have seen before and then of course if you haven't seen them at all we're going to introduce them to you and we're going to set the stage and i thought what was so brilliant about it is that there were times where for me as a fan the characters almost were the same i mean i mean god pine sitting in that chair during the kobayashi maru i swear he could have been shatner he's not channeling him he's not mimicking him or anything but he is everything that you would have thought kirk would be in that kind of scene from the original series if shatner had been playing him um you know i felt the same way about um uh, carl urban playing bones he just felt like bones you know and it was about the characters and i felt like they really pushed that in 09 that it's it's a story about these people becoming who we we know they have been in the past slash future. Um, this is a great and, road to go down. Yeah, so <laughs> I think I, it's super I, fun to talk about that. Yeah, I just thought that that was was great, and that's where to me it's it's a it's a complete reversal of the failure of the motion picture. They're trying to do the same thing, yes, but I think this one succeeds by leaps and bounds, and I think you can see that one in the box office. Um, receipts for people but two the fact that generally um, a majority of Star Trek fans I think enjoyed the film and I think it brought new people in in a way that motion picture was never going to yeah. alright well, be- before we're I just I there's, well, there's a million things wrong with what you just said. <laughs> it's not about the characters. That's all. What? What? Is Star Trek: The Motion Picture? No, or? two is not about the no. characters. The characters I, are about the ideas. I, I, I think I, 
I think it is about the characters, but I think it's about other stuff too. Anyway, okay. So um, it's about characters in a good way. Two thousand nine is about characters in a dumb way. Okay, I disagree with that too, but whatever. Okay. It doesn't matter. Anyway, this is matter. why I like you guys. <laughs> Every everyone is wrong but me. <laughs> okay, so moving moving on. Just before, but we, in different ways, which is fun. Uh, for the record, just before we we wrap this up, what were your thoughts on on Into Darkness, uh, Matt? I mean, you know, I think we've talked about it before, and I, I think a lot of the listeners, you know, have listened to Trek FM, know that generally I like Into Darkness. I think it, it has a few issues with it, um, and this is this is what I say, and this is a little, or I'm going to agree a little bit with Max. I felt like Into Darkness proved to me that Star Trek does need some points in the story where it does slow down a little bit. And give you just a little bit more exposition, and that needs to be okay. I felt like 2009's pacing was fine. I didn't feel like it uh, it needed anything really. Into Darkness, though, I felt like there were some scenes and there were some moments, especially uh, I think in Marcus's office. Um, I think in um, the 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 moments where um, Kirk is talking uh, to Khan. Um, a few of those scenes needed to be stretched out and have some more exposition go on. So you could kind of understand more going on in the storyline, especially with kind of figuring out how in the world, you know, Khan goes from being on a ship to being woken up to all of those things and exactly how he's being used um, and abused, really. Um and uh, by Marcus. Um, and so I think that was, to me, really, uh, I think Max is right. There are moments where Star Trek is best when it's kind of slower and and, and uh, plotted out a little bit more. And, and to me, Into Darkness, is the only place that it really suffers is in that area. Uh, I felt like otherwise I really enjoyed Into Darkness, um, and I still do. Uh, again, I, I love the music in it. Um, I just got the deluxe soundtrack and have been listening to it. It's fantastic. Gene yeah, Aquino is a genius. I need to get that. Um, but uh, in general, that was my reaction. I went into the movie. I enjoyed it. Um, I had a good time in it. Um, I enjoyed, uh, to me specifically, the character development as well. Um, and that's another place. It, it could have been a little bit slower in some areas. Um, just to hit those key character moments with Kirk, especially because he learns a lot in this movie real quick. Um, I, I feel like JJ needs to get over his his um, trepidation about making a movie that's two hours and fifteen minutes, two hours and thirty minutes long. Um, because I felt like Into Darkness could have been two hours and thirty minutes long if you stretched some things out, and it would have uh, really helped the movie. But other than that. I still really enjoy it. Okay, and and Max, I know you weren't a fan, right? I, 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 I it's just, it's just silly. I, I, I can't, I can't even start a, a criticism of it without going crazy. But like, ultimately, I think that there are a lot of bad Star Trek movies. I mean, I, I don't know if if there's a worse one than than Nemesis. But no, I mean, three not. is I think pretty here's, awful. Here, here's something that we can all agree on, maybe. 
Nemesis is the worst Star Trek movie. I agree. I, I'd even put five over it. So yeah. No. No. no <laughs> I think I think that that Nemesis is certainly the the biggest failure mm-hmm. because it fails in a lot of different ways. I think three has a much deeper and more important failure, and five, at the very least, it fails while trying to do something awesome. So in a way, I I I think that I you know if I'm if one of these were all people, I would hang out with five. Okay. Max and I are the same there. There you I, go, man. I, I would not yeah. speak to three. We would not be on good terms. <laughs> Nemesis and I, like, we know each other, but we've never got past, like, the, the nod mm-hmm. as we walk by. Yeah. That's where we are. That's where Nemesis and I are. Five I hang out with. So, so what's your relationship with Into Darkness, then? I feel like he's the, the kid that thinks that I'm really cool and wants to hang out with me, but I'm like, I really don't do much. I pretty much just sit around and read. I don't know why you think I'm so cool. And he's like, come on, man, let's go do something. And I'm like, come on, man, just, like, I just kind of want to, like, make a sandwich or something. <laughs> okay. I just want to, God, shut up. Okay, Kid. so he's basically the he's... normal of Star Trek <laughs> movies. Normal, yeah, normal's good. I was thinking of the um, um, the kid that follows Beavis and Butthead around, whose name I can't remember. Okay, Stewart. Stewart. Stewart is his name. Okay. Stewart is, I when I was when I was like in in high school, Stewart was the word for those guys. Okay, that all would right. hang out with with any group that I was in because we all knew in my group that we were not the cool kids. Some people thought we were, and that made them really weird to us. Okay. And kind of creepy and annoying. All right. Okay. So, well, for me, I don't know. I, I would hang out with Into Darkness for sure. I, I, I don't think that it's as good as 09, but I do really like what they're doing um, and, and the, the, the way that they did sort of expand it and, and in addition to making it about the characters, also sort of make, make it a social commentary. I I really think that that it does raise some interesting questions and you know I mean that's that's perfectly fine and it's very um relevant to today and, and everything and I I think that in terms of an action movie it's extremely well done and I like the way that it moves the the, the action moves the plot forward and informs the characters and, and and everything like that and and it is I think really well written in that um you know it uses the action to advance the story instead of stopping for it. So, uh, that the idea, right? Well, yeah. I mean, it uses the, it doesn't stop for it. Okay. Well, that's. I mean, but that's what a lot of movies do. I sure. mean, well, it was the, a dark and stormy night when you said you, that. By you, the way, you compare Mission Impossible two to, to Mission Impossible three, and that's exactly yep. what. Okay. Anyway, so in terms of final thoughts here. Um, Matt, in in summary, what 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 would you say that J.J. Uh, Abrams brought to the franchise as a director, and do you think that the franchise is better or worse for his contribution? I think that J.J. brings um, a big scope to Star Trek. I mean, he just opens everything up as to what it can be. Um, you know, he he's not afraid to make it look good. Um, and if if there's one criticism of any Star Trek movie um, out there, any of them, it's just that the studio was always afraid to spend money on Star Trek, I think. 
uh, in a lot of ways. In some ways it hurt the franchise, in some ways it helped. Um, there's plenty of instances where it helped, but I think there's other ways where it hurt. Uh, we, we talked about Star Trek V. Uh, I think uh, in a lot of ways studio there didn't help at all with money. Uh, the effects in that movie are terrible, and there's some areas where it could have been helped. So I think J.J. making um, the studio pony up money for Star Trek and making it big and awesome, uh, everything that I kind of hoped a Star Trek movie could be in that way, it was. I mean, the movies look fantastic. Even watching them now, 09, Into Darkness, everything looks great. And I think, too, uh, to me, J.J. showed... You can, you can do a lot of CGI and practical and put it all together and make it look fantastic. Um, it, I mean, the movies are, are flawless in that way. Um, I, I, I think he really brought that. And I thought he brought um, the, the focus back to the, the characters that we did love, you know, um, in a way that I could buy as a Star Trek fan and wasn't going to be pissed off by. I thought that... it. If, if anything, him and, and, and um, Orsi and Kurtzman coming up with that, pretty smart. So, uh, you know, that's a huge combo. Uh, that's a huge um, uh, thing to bring back to Star Trek. Um, I already mentioned he brought Michael Giacchino. I think that was great as well because Star Trek, I think, needed, needs good music. Um, it has for all of its films, and it really helped here. Uh, I, I thought um, and I thought the other thing that he did that was really important is he brought fun to Star Trek. Star Trek was fun. Um, you had a great time watching the movie and that's something that we had missed I think um, you know uh, they, they tried it in, in Insurrection and we could argue about whether it works or not. Doesn't. <laughs> yeah I, 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 I think on a whole it, it's not great. I don't really think it ever worked. Um, know you know, uh, Star Trek Four. I think it works, but that's mm. an anomaly. Um, but I think they they found a way to make it fun here and mean something character-wise and be just a good movie in general in, uh, in both instances. And um, I think Into Darkness proved it was okay to, to make Star Trek try and say in something again. You know, uh, I agree with you, Mike, that... Um, into Darkness was trying to say something. Um, and it was definitely trying to say something politically. Um, they, they definitely had a message. Uh, and that is what Star Trek is about as well. And so allowing that to be a part of the process and, and making Star Trek and making that be something that's important to Star Trek, I thought was great for Abrams to do. Um, I, I think he had a lot to do with that. Um, and I'm glad that the studio brought him on because it made Star Trek something to be reckoned with again. Um, and I just hope that they don't do what they did the last time they had Star Trek. And it was on a precipice with Enterprise. And uh, I hope that Star Trek 3 doesn't turn into that. Star okay. Trek 3? Yes. Star, Star Trek 3. <laughs> 3. Yes. <laughs> Okay, Max. Uh, what what about you? Um, final thoughts on JJ? I, I I'm still mystified by anybody's really excited about these things, and I feel like 
I feel like on some level, everybody's sort of just denying the obvious reality that what's happened is that it's just sort of become overly commercialized. It's done the Christmas thing. It's graduated from being a thing that some people celebrated to being a cultural artifact. And it sort of lost its specialness and it lost its edge in that process. I mean, like, the new Star Trek films are in a way kind of... I don't know, they're like Hello Kitty to me. You know, they're marketed perfectly and they don't really have anything about them that is of significance or 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 problematic like they're not they don't have anything in them that makes them dangerous and like that's what i like about science fiction the genre of science fiction is that it's it's always kind of revolutionary it's always been very rebellious like fantasy was always like you know um for the king for 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 good and honesty and for our home villages and science fiction was always like Revelatory it was always a little bit, a little bit aggressive. It was always kind of like, like sitting there in the town, poisoning the well, saying we need to leave this town. And Star Trek did that a lot. And I think when everybody decided that we'd learned all the lessons from Star Trek, they just thought Star Trek is now just a thing with spaceships. So it's okay that it doesn't have anything much to say anymore. So it can just be the story of some guy learning to not waste his time in bars and become a really cool guy and cool adventure with spaceship shooting. And um, I feel that we've lost a much more significant thing than we have words for. Okay. Well, uh, while I understand what you're saying, Max, I, I do not agree with it. Um, but... Aside, aside from that, not getting into that, I guess what I would say, what, what I think that Abrams brought to Star Trek is uh, the thing that I, I've been talking about forever, and I'm, I'm going to sound like a broken record here, but, you know, he basically brought Star Trek into the 21st century. He brought it into the modern era in terms of filmmaking or television making and everything like that. And and he figured out a way to make Star Trek um, something which uh, fit with the time. It was always about the times we were living in. Now it feels like it was made in the times we were living in. And I, I really, really appreciate that. And, like and, and I do think that, yeah, maybe you're right. And, and, and I do think that uh, um, what he does have to say is interesting and is um star trek in its thematics and everything like that all right well matt we've kept you a lot longer than we said we were going to and i apologize for that um but where can people find you elsewhere on the network and wherever else you yeah be? you can find me uh doing literary treks where we talk about uh, the books and comics uh, of star trek talk to the authors uh, that kind of thing um here on the network and we just uh, dropped our show with uh, jeff lang talking about his new book uh the light fantastic um with the uh resurrected data which a fantastic book and, a, and it's such a fun interview so uh, check that out uh, i also do uh, the orb with uh, christopher jones where we talk about deep space nine all the time uh, one of the fun things we've been doing there has been our retrospective on the nine-part finale of Deep Space Nine, which has been so much fun to have a great excuse to go back and watch probably the best end to any show I've ever seen. Um, I, I really enjoyed that, and, and I think um, we've had a lot of great feedback, too, uh, from listeners on that because there's just so much to talk about. Um, 
And then you can find me on Twitter at MattRushing02. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for joining us. And, uh, yeah, you're welcome back anytime. Thanks so much, guys. I really appreciate it. Well, that was fun talking to Matt about J.J. Abrams' work in Star Trek. But that's not all we're talking about here on Trek FM this week. So here's a look at what you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.FM, Standard Orbit. I'm just going to say this up front. I don't know if it's Koenig or Koenig. I've heard both. I'm going to go with Koenig. But if I'm wrong, just pretend I said Koenig the whole time. And I'll go with Koenig. All right. And then... So our bases are covered. So we'll both... Yes. One of us will be right. Earl Grey. They're like, we're supposed to be decommissioned. And Kirk's like, second star to the right. (laughs) And then, like, what happens after that moment? They're like... They just start like five tap. minutes later. It's like, well, <laughs> I guess we do guess have we to go turn back. around <laughs> <laughs> to the journey to the journey is community. And that's what you find with Star Trek. And that's why we do what we do. And that's why we love it. When you guys write us, find us on Twitter. And that's why we're all friends on Trek.fm is because we have this sense of community. And that's what it brings. It's not just about a show. It's about each other. Warp five. Mm-hmm. Archer's way is the right way. He mm-hmm. brings the light. She mm-hmm. walks into the light to talk to Archer because then she is enlightened because he is an enlightened man. Mm-hmm. She walks back into the darkness and retreats back into her world to pick up the slates and go teach the mm-hmm. kids about the humans and the Skagarans and all that kind of stuff. Commentary, Trek stars. I think it would be fun in order for in order to prove my point would be like to us have us play a game of Monopoly and also two players entirely determined by randomness. Two fictional players would be Mike, Max, Blue, and Green. Continuing mission. When we made the audio drama, it was a fairly straightforward transition. Let's call the ship the Excelsior. Let's make it the fourth one to bear the name. Let's put it in the Delta Quadrant. But uh, now that we're there, um, I'm really happy with a lot of those things. Melodic Treks. Second marriage took place in August the 6th, 1963 to Camille J. Williams, a Las Vegas dancer, and they had two children. And yes, I know, he divorced and married in the same year. I ain't gonna go anywhere near that. You draw your own conclusions. Literary Treks. I think I posited the idea that Lal was kidnapped, and Margaret just said in her Margaret E. way, she just said, Moriarty. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. Check out these shows to get in on the daily Trek talk. You'll find them on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, the Windows podcast directory for Xbox and Zune. Or you can stream and download them from the website. Just visit Trek.fm for a podcast directory and to get all the links. So we have some feedback. We sure do. Mm -hmm. We have feedback from our old friend Crazy Man who usually writes in about uh, our other show, Commentary Track Stars Off Topic. Yep. This week, he wrote in about a number of things, including um, some of the stuff that we've been talking about right here on Trek FM. He says... Totally sounds natural, like you're not stretching this for a time. Yeah. He says, Thanks for turning me to Tabletop. It's a fun show. Ironically, though, perhaps the worst thing about it for me is Whedon. His consistent need to be on and constant geek references grows tiresome quickly. You guys should totally do a D&D campaign for a podcast. In your J.J. Abrams episode, you're going to be covering his first, best, and most important contribution to cinema, taking care of business, right? 
I saw that movie when I was around 10, and I really, really wanted a Philofax after seeing that. I also thought, is this part of TNG? That reminds me, I am planning to get into TNG again once they release a complete series box set on Blu-ray like TOS. Cheers, Crazy Man. I feel like old Spock because I'm pretty sure I've heard all that before. Yeah, we did talk about this on our other show. But, you know, I wanted wanted to bring this up. (laughs) I wanted to bring this up because Crazy Man is making a mistake. And maybe he didn't realize it because we said that the deadline was July 31st. But our contest for feedback on iTunes and Stitcher has been expanded. Um, And now you still have a chance to leave us a review on iTunes and or Stitcher and be entered to win um, a number of of really cool prizes. The new deadline is Sunday, August 17th. And Crazy Man... Man, he really dropped the ball, didn't he? No, no, because, I mean, look at this. Look at this. He failed in some significant way, though. Well, he did, because right here he's talking about how he's going to buy the complete series of Next Generation on Blu-ray. It's a stupid choice. If he enters this contest, he could win one of the, the seasons for free. Yeah, he could save... Honestly, a rather like, insignificant amount of money at this point. Oh, come on. That's a, that's a substantial <laughs> amount of money. You can get, I mean, some of those are like 75 bucks. Yeah, to... he's going to be dropping close to a G on this thing, man. <laughs> but wouldn't it be nice to be 75? Then he can give it to me. Oh. He, he can give it to me then. Sure. Yeah, you that's know? a good point. I mean, come on. Season two. So, so, so <laughs> crazy, man. Take what you wrote to us in that email and just go into iTunes and do that. And then go Copy over, and paste, bro. over to Trek FM. 20 seconds. Right. And maximum. Then, and then go over to Trek FM. How hard is that? And, and fill out the form, and then and then you're all good to go. Now, we have all those things that we talked about before. We got the the, the pin set. We've got the uh, ship from Japan. Uh-huh. We've got the Blu-ray set of your choice, or DVD set, if that's how you want to uh, roll. Nobody wants to roll like that. But now we're adding another item for people who review the official Star Trek Axanar podcast, okay? If you review that one, not yeah. ours, but if you review that one, then you will be entered to win a set of three embroidered patches, compliments of Alec Peters, the creator of Axanar himself. And, like, I've seen a picture of these things. They're really cool. Mm-hmm. You've got, like, one for the Strategic Starship Development Board, and then you got one for Starfleet Fifth Fleet, and then you've got one for the USS Ares, and they're really cool. And you could win this. All you got to do is leave a review on Stitcher, okay? You can also review the master feed. You can review all of our shows to give you that many more choices. Each review will get you an entry. And then after you do that, after you leave the review, go to trek.fm, www.trek.fm slash review, and complete the form there. Okay, so so that just just do that, and and www.trekfm/review. You got to include the www. Okay? Really? Yeah, it's 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 weird. Um, then that's all you got to do. You just do that by Sunday, August seventeenth at midnight Pacific time. So that's two a.m. our time. Crazy man's time. I don't know. I think he what lives in pa- Europe somewhere. God, Pacific. Pacific. Time. You know. Yeah. It's bonkers, man. Well, they're going off of you know, it's it's where Starfleet is. You know, San Francisco. So everything is off of Pacific time. It's just the way it works. Is 
that right? I, I haven't heard otherwise. So I would say yes. Uh, okay. Anyway, if okay, so Crazy Man dropped the ball, but there's still time. He's but dropped it so many times. He's dropped One, it so many times. He's not crazy. <laughs> Two. I'm pretty sure he's agreed with you at some point. Yeah. Well, I don't need anything happens. else. Okay, but you know who didn't drop the ball? A ninety one R eight H eight. Is that a droid? I don't know. But he left us a review, or maybe it's a she, on um, iTunes. If and it's a droid, we don't have to worry about it. Presumably, as long as A91R8H8 <laughs> goes to www.trek.fm slash review, trek.fm slash review, and, and, and uh, lets us know that he left a re- review here, then he, he's good to go for this contest. Or she. Or, or she. It. She. She says, I've been listening to some of Trek FM's podcasts since early last year. I listen to them while I'm driving on my way to and from school. I find myself so engrossed in the conversation, and I wish I was there. You don't wish you were here right now. It's like 95 degrees in this room, and outside we've got, like, a thunderstorm with flash flood warnings. Honestly, Max's car is probably f- floating down the street. I feel fine. It's not. For t- it was much hotter earlier today. The rain has cooled it off. I feel okay. all right. Well, I'm still hot. And rain is nice this time of year, man. No, I, I hate driving in rain. I'm just saying A91. Although R-A-H-A. you were you, you did lose a car to the rain yes. once. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> all right. Anyway, regardless of that. It was funny, though. I'm just saying that A91R8H8 doesn't want to be here, whether she thinks she does or not, or he. Anyway. It continues. The people who work on this podcast are real Trekkie slash Trekkers, too, making the conversation all that more interesting because of their knowledge of Trek lore. Well, thank you, A91R8H8. We really do appreciate it. Um, And uh, we hope that you win this contest. Yeah, and don't disintegrate us. That too. All right. Um, Before we go, we would like to tell you about our sponsor, Audible, who brings uh, or helps bring commentary Trek stars to you each week. And our sponsor is Audible, like I just said. Audible is a great way for you to read all of the books you've always wanted to read but never thought you'd have the time for. Audible is the premier source for audiobooks with more than 150,000 titles to choose from and new titles coming every week, from classics to current bestsellers and even some of the most famous Star Trek books like Prime Directive, Federation, and Spock's World. Audible has something for everyone. They even have the Star Trek movie tie-in, which was done for the release of J.J. Abrams' first Star Trek movie. It was written by Alan Dean Foster, who wrote... Wrote the entire book while sprinting. He wrote that, and he also wrote um, Star Trek The Motion Picture. Yeah. He wrote that lying down. The weird thing is, they are identical books. Mm-hmm. It's narrated by Zachary Quinto. It's eight hours and six minutes long, uh, unabridged. It's the same running time as The Motion Picture. And for those of you who may not uh, know what this movie is about... Here's the description. In the far reaches of the galaxy, a machine of war bursts into existence in a place and time it was never meant to be. On a mission of retribution for the destruction of his planet, its half-mad captain seeks the death of every intelligent being and the annihilation of every civilized world. 
Kirk and Spock, two completely different and unyielding personalities, must find a way to lead the only crew aboard the only ship that can stop him. And you can get this book for free, since you're a listener to Trek FM, over on audible.com. As a Trek FM listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice along with a 30-day trial to see just how great Audible is. So give it a try today. Catch up on all of those classic Star Trek books you've yet to read and that latest novel from your favorite author as well. Just go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and sign up today. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash trekfm, and we thank Audible for supporting commentary, Trek Stars, and Trek FM. And lastly, there's one more way that you can directly help us keep commentary Trek stars coming to you each week, and that's by adopting some aliens. Well, illustrations of aliens anyway. If you go to trek.fm slash donate, you'll find eight original alien illustrations by Toba Ushi, who does most of the artwork you see on the website. They're available as both badges and art prints, and there are different contribution levels for you to choose from. Just let us know which you would like and in which format. Again, you'll find them at trek.fm slash donate, and your support helps us pay for the cost of production, hosting, and bandwidth that's needed to bring the show to you each week. You can get a Romulan on there. Do you think that maybe instead of that CTS to one tattoo, problem. I should get the, the Nero tattoos on my Whatever face? Whatever you're saying, I'm on board with it. All right. You should get all of the... Wait, Nero? Yeah. Like like Nero has? Yeah, that's a good idea. <laughs> Will you gnaw the, edge, the end of my ear off so that I can... I don't think I'll need to. Okay. I think someone's going to see that and assume no, no, see, that, that you're Mike Tyson. That would be, that would be and good. And will not your ear off <laughs> in retaliation for, good, you know, the whole good, good ear point. gnawing issue. Good, good point, yeah. You know, you know that reminds me. That, that would be good cosplay at, at uh, Dragon Con, which is, you know, something that we, we neglected to mention. But yeah. our show, this show, Commentary Trek Stars, is um, a finalist for a Parsec Award again this year um, in the content creation category. Mm -hmm. And uh, we're going to be down at Dragon Con in Atlanta um, over Labor Day weekend, specifically on Sunday, August 31st, along with Drew, who's also nominated along with me for Standard Orbit. No, I'm not kidding about down. And uh, if you're uh, there... Let us know and uh, come and say hi and, and that it would be fun. Anyway, as always, you can find us at Trek FM right here where we do this show. And I also do Standard Orbit with Drew. And you can find us on our website, CommentaryTrackStars.com, where we do Commentary Track Stars Off Topic with Brandon. Or you can find us on Twitter at ComTrackStars, or you can email us at ComTrackStars at gmail.com. That's all that we have for this week. Next week is part two in our series on J.J. Abrams as a director, where we are going to be looking at his first movie, Mission Impossible 3, along with Tisto of Tisto.com. 